Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What is the nature of insanity? As of late, I've contemplated this question far too deeply. I find myself standing in the hall and thinking of the sun which I've not seen in many days. I've been spending all my time reading files and financial documents. I can't determine where the back-end mess of shell companies and legal fictions lead. The controlling interest in this place cannot be precisely located, but that might just be a sign of the times. If I were to step outside and enjoy the healing radiance of the sun, perhaps purposely walk in the chilly winter breezes without a jacket just to feel the air wash over me, how would I know that that experience was real once I returned inside? The only proof any of us have that the rest of our life exists are memories. If you can't trust your memories, what can you trust? It seems curiously relevant to me that one's entire structure of reality comes down to a series of mutable mental factoids. Perhaps that's what happened to these people. They're not fundamentally broken on an organic level. They're all there, all functioning, all thinking, but through a series of decisions, their reality became quite dark and painful. Except for one. One story doesn't fit. After finishing my other duties, I went straight to him. I used my practiced, calm, but stern tone. You left something out. He sighed and looked over at me, saying nothing. The despair in his eyes was heartbreaking. I read your account in your file. I continued, making sure to impart compassion and urgency. There's something missing from your story. His brow lowered slightly. How did you know? I thought of the pattern the rest of the patients followed, and how his didn't fit. It's not important. I'm here because I care, and I think something bigger than both of us is going on. I need to know the rest of your story. His face scrunched up. I thought he was smiling, but... Then he sobbed and tears flowed down his cheeks. You believe me? God, please tell me you believe me. I was well aware of my mentors and even the chief of medicine's warnings about how I regarded the patient's ideas, but I needed to know. Yes, I believe you. He sobbed more deeply and curled over in profound relief. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I lied about how it happened. I wasn't just walking on the street. What, some random bum spills blood on me and then the bone walker comes out of nowhere? No. 
It was me. I sought it out. My life was already taking a dark turn. I was nobody, ignored by everyone. I was just some guy, no college degree, nothing to his name, no family to speak of, and no connections. I felt left behind by the whole world. People were constantly afraid of me, unwilling to give me a job just because I had a record. Don't think I didn't notice when other people held themselves closer at night as I walked by. Addicted to middling drugs, not the real killer stuff, mind you, not yet. I often moved among the city's underbelly, the only place that would have me. Or drugs, yeah. Brutality, too. Anything you want. Orgies, even. But you don't want a part of that, believe me. Those people. They had a desperation about them. It was in the air, and everyone knew it, and it seemed like nothing mattered to many of them. The Bone Walker was a whispered rumor among them. There were some users that didn't need to work, didn't need to put on the facade of a normal life. They had a backer. Lucky bastards, we called them. Every hopeless pariah eventually gets to this point where the initial money, the initial will, the initial life, that's all gone. I hit that point. And I turned to that thing. It wasn't for the drugs, either. In fact, I cleaned up quite a bit. It was the power. People answered to me. Screw with me, you die. All I have to do is get some of that special blood on your fingernails, your teeth, and my backer cuts you up from the inside out. They'd like to do that, you know. It treated us like pets. Money was great, too. I hated being sliced up every time it came calling, yeah, but that was the cost of doing business. And then, things got more serious, and I realized I was more a slave than a pet. Some of the things it forced me to do were... God, I, I have nightmares. At first, I didn't understand the greater picture. We'd all gotten in over our heads because there was nobody else to turn to. Once you have a record, once you're on the street, it's over for you, and the Bone Walker took advantage of that. It had more than enough willing recruits to create a network, an army. It took a lot of whispered conversations with other slaves to figure out that we were part of something far more disturbing than just our own private house. And our master wasn't the worst thing out there. We were the good guys, fighting the good fight by any means necessary. Can you imagine that? It just wasn't good for us personally, because both society and the Bonewalker viewed us as expendable. You know why I'm in this bed? Why I'm so depressed? Think about it. If I was afraid of dying at any moment, I'd live it up. I wouldn't sit here in this room alone. No, just the opposite. The Bonewalker's dead, man. It's not coming back. That idiot killed it. I imagine doing it that way sometimes. Crushing it up in a pile of treated bones so it wouldn't know which way it was out. So it would get torn up as the bones shatter. Great minds think alike, right? But when I figured out what was really going on, I was glad for... What? I asked, interrupting. What's going on? 
You mean you don't? He froze, staring at me with trembling eyes. His pupils drifted, left in slow motion, full of dismay and apprehension. I've said too much. I'm sorry. He resumed, staring at the wall, ignoring my further attempts to prompt him. At first I was angry that he didn't just tell me what was going on, but then I thought better of it. For a moment there I had actually believed him. I let his story become real to me. I was taking too many risks with my own mind. No, Bonewalker could not be real. His addiction was, though. The underbelly, the criminal acts, all of it. That was the kernel of truth I would take from this story. I hinted at larger picture, an air of desperation. And bad choices. He fit the pattern now. Standing in that hallway, I couldn't help but stare down one wall and back up the other. Every single door imprisoned a patient who had chosen their way into madness and despair. Their own needs taken to the extreme had ruined them all. I didn't know what it meant, not yet, but it was a major red flag. Actually, I walked to the end of the hall, nodded at Mabel as she passed, no harm done from yesterday's temporary drugging, thankfully, and I halted outside of one door I hadn't tried. I watched her through the square glass aperture. Allowed a pen and paper due to her nonviolence, she often wrote at great length. Curled up in a corner, she wrote even now. She was one of the few patients who I had no story for, no testimony. For politeness' sake, I knocked. Come in, she called. She continued writing as I entered. Hi. I began. I'm... You know the drill, she responded, continuing to write. I hesitated. Can you... Put the pen down? I've never hurt anyone. I'm not about to start. Accepting her statement, but still apprehensive, I kneeled down. She reached both hands up and felt around my temples, then back around the curve of my head. Sorry, she breathed with a note of disappointment. I can't talk to you. Are you sure? I want to help. I... I think something's going on here in this place. She made no response, turning back to her scribbling. Can I at least see what you're writing? She ignored me. Picking up the papers, I looked at a few. They were not gibberish, not exactly, but filled with stream of consciousness paragraphs and carefully practiced script, with a few strange errors. Picking up the papers, I looked at a few. They were not gibberish, not exactly, but filled with stream of consciousness paragraphs and carefully practiced script with a few strange errors. I waved my hand in front of her face, and she still made no reaction. My jaw dropped. Are you blind? 
She took in a sharp breath through her nose, but still made no reply. Okay, ignore me, I told her. But at least tell me why you're writing all this if you can't read it. What is this all for? She gave me only a single word. Practice. Her word was simple, but profound. I left her to her devices, contemplating her possible backstory. If she knew how to write and she was practicing it, that meant she was able to see at one time. She'd not always been blind. What could that tell me? Had she, too, somehow gone from a normal girl to a quiet, blind patient who refused to talk to anyone who didn't pass her inexplicable ritual? It seemed very unfair at that moment that normal life could derail so badly. All these people, they were normal, more or less, and made enough bad choices to end up here. There was another blind patient without a backstory. Oddly, he'd had one at some point, but the file was destroyed or lost. I passed through several sets of doors, heading for the farthest wing. They kept him at the very end. I peered at him. He'd stabbed his own eyes with a pen long ago. He sat in the far left corner of his cell, his eyes closed, but his position indicated that he was awake. I couldn't imagine his level of boredom. He refused anything electronic, became quite violent around such devices, in fact. A television or even a radio might have alleviated his unending darkness and solitude. I honestly couldn't fathom spending every day just sitting and thinking, trapped in my own head. I saw a tiny bit of white sticking out from under his leg. I rushed through the halls, filled with a sudden hunch. Mabel! She stopped and turned. Thanks for yesterday, she said. My husband would be lost if anything happened to me. Todd an old fool, she smiled. Sure thing, I almost said, but hesitated. Remembering how that twisted, limbless man and I had both said the same thing to Claire. The words had a shuddering aversion for me now. Uh, you're, you're welcome. Mabel, are you... Or do you know of any nurses who are bringing papers from one patient to another? How's your hand? She asked, suddenly nervous. I looked down at the bandage. Fine, but about those papers. She donned a frustrated expression. They seemed to like writing to each other. He was just sitting there, alone. I felt sorry for him. Didn't mean any harm. Fine, I told her. I'm not looking to get you in trouble. Do you happen to know anything about what they're writing? She explained some of the minor details she'd read, just to check. She wasn't about to pass death threats or other rudeness, she said. And once I understood, I hurried back to the end of the far wing. I can hear you, he called through the door. Frowning, I watched him subtly adjust to hide the papers he was sitting on. I answered after a moment, letting him think I didn't know. I wondered how he read them all, until I realized that he could probably feel the pen's effect on the paper, like an engraving. Interesting. I stood halfway into the room, giving him some space. Although blind, he made an effort to look in my direction. You're not like the rest of them, you know? 
you mean? He frowned and gave a weak smile. You don't walk like them. He was right. I had been walking quickly with energy and concern. The other staff took their leisurely time in the halls. It was just a job to them. It had become more than that to me. Are you willing to tell me your story? I asked, sitting cross-legged near him. His smile widened into a mocking grin. It's pointless. Tell me anyway. Do you have a cell phone? He asked. I shook my head, but then realized he couldn't see the motion. No, it could interfere with medical equipment. Pager? I looked at my belt. No. I lied. Good, good. He mused aloud. Been having headaches lately, friend? I blinked. I had, actually. I'd been sleeping little and poorly when I did. The on-call room did not offer the best sleeping conditions, and it had been the center of my extracurricular activities for the duration of my investigation. I chalked up the headaches to my fatigue, and I'd been downing increasing number of painkillers. No, no headaches, I lied. Oh. He seemed vaguely disappointed. I figured that paranoid schizophrenics like him enjoyed guessing little things because it hinted at some greater mysterious knowledge they might possess, and being wrong was not something he enjoyed. Fine, he said after a moment. I have nothing better to do. Then you'll leave me alone? Yes. All right. But you might not like what you hear. Good. I have a feeling something is going on here, and I already don't like it. You seem to perk up at that. Really? It was a Sunday. I remember that very clearly. I... I didn't finish writing the day's events before something else happened. Blackness washed over me like a wave as I sat in the on-call room typing out the story he told me. By the light of my laptop screen, I checked the mainline phone. No dial tone. The constant droning of the building's air system was gone, replaced with deathly silence. I crept over to the door and peered into the hallway. Darkness hovered between rotating red emergency lights, sparsely placed at long intervals. At the extreme other end of the hall, under flashing crimson, I saw something that chilled my blood. The door to a patient's room opened slowly, softly, as if the person behind it couldn't believe it was unlocked. I couldn't believe it either. I'd only talked personally to the most docile patients, but many of them were extremely dangerous. Fighting a sudden spike in my headache, I blinked continually, struggling to determine who it was that had escaped. His silhouette flitted shadow and red as he moved about, looking up and down the hall. He couldn't see me, shrouded in darkness as I was, but I could see him. I knew him. He wasn't too dangerous. 
Beside him, another door opened. And then another. It occurred to me that the power outage was no accident, and someone had unlocked all of the doors. One by one, they crept into shifting shadow and scarlet, releasing their particular flavor of insanity into the halls. I could hear some muttering, some shouting, some looking for weapons, some looking for... staff. I thought to lock the door and hide, but they would certainly check the on-call room. I couldn't stay there. Heart pounding, I dropped my white coat and slid into the darkness between two rotating emergency lights. Could they see my silhouette against the red? I saw them creeping about like curious animals, spreading through the halls. I pushed up against the wall and some wandered past me, muttering obscenities and twitching. My headache sharpened into a blinding pain for a moment and I almost groaned in pain. But I grabbed my mouth, forcing my body silent. The rotating red lights in darkness shot pain through my eyes, straight to my headache. It was only 20 feet away. I stumbled for a side exit in the building, intending on running. There was nothing I could do except escape and call somebody. It was locked. Was it supposed to be locked? Damn it. Damn it. I struggled to breathe against my searing headache and the massive throbbing of my adrenaline-spiked heart. I had very little room for maneuvering. Patients moved within feet of me in the darkness, once stopped under an emergency light. His body cast the color of blood. Someone else stabbed him, spurting black liquid from under his collarbone. He screamed and I could hear attention turn toward the area. The sound of falling meat came, along with the continued screams, and something squishy slid across the floor, hitting my shoe with a strange wet plop. The large patient who'd done the grisly hack job looked my way, peering into the darkness. Reflectively ducking into one of the patient's room, I closed the door softly behind me. Please don't hurt me, a girl whispered from the corner. I won't, I whispered back, relieved. I'm staff. Oh God, what's going on? She breathed. The barest light filtering under the door illuminated her only enough for me to see her out of the edges of my vision. Cast in sickly red, she was emaciated, a gaunt and unwholesome sight. I knew her immediately. Wait here, I said, burning with an idea. I poked my head out the door, looked either direction, adrenaline surged, and I darted for the other side of the hall. I grabbed a tray of food from inside and then darted back. I heard a shout of anger, but I couldn't tell if someone had seen me. Eat this, I told her. She moved back an inch. No! Just try, I whispered, pleading. It'll help us, I promise. Quivering, she picked up a glob of jello. A moment later, she dropped it, making a disgusted noise. It fell in the light coming under the door, and I could see a dark goblet inside of it. Again, I said. She lifted a half-eaten apple to her mouth, then dropped it on the verge of tears. I held it to the soft light. What looked like a severed tendon slid from the apple's core. Again, I ordered. 
crying, she lifted and then dropped the remains of a sandwich. I pulled the bread back. Yes! I took out her discovery, stripped it of its extraneous tissue, and snapped it in half. She gave a sobbing laugh. In the scant red light, I held up two finger-length fragments of bone, both wickedly jagged, both still sick with gristle. She grabbed my arm as to not lose me in the dark, and we crept to the side door again while screams of pain and screams of glee surrounded from nearby corners. Come on, come on, I whispered, poking the two bone fragments into the lock. I knew the building was shoddily constructed and poorly funded, and I was counting everything on this lock being a piece of... Yes! Clicked open. A looming presence pounced from behind. She screamed and ran through the door while I pushed the wild-eyed man back. We rolled, grappling. He had a weapon. I thought I was dead for sure until red light illuminated me and he saw my own wild eyes. I'm sure a week of poor sleep and my blasting headache contributed to my decrepit appearance. Oh. He breathed, grinning. Thought you were them. Come on, let's get out of here, brother. Amazed, I stood turning to the side door, and a figure moved in the way, slamming it shut. What the hell were you doing? The chief of medicine demanded. I looked around at clean, clear hallways, lit in harsh white. Mabel moved papers around down at a nurse's station. Moments ago, I'd seen it empty, lit and rotating red, crowned by dangerous silhouettes crawling this way and that. Acting out a patient's story, I quickly lied. That blind girl that writes, she wrote a story about an escape attempt. Seeing if it was possible. Turns out the store's locks really is faulty. <laughs> Lucky guess, huh? He looked me up and down for several long moments with a hard and unreadable glare. Can't fault that, I suppose, but you look like an idiot. He looked down at the side door. And I'll contact maintenance, have the lock replaced. Nice catch. I'll take a day off, you look like hell. I nodded and bore a smile as he walked away. I watched him talk to Mabel and then proceed around the corner. Strangely, I could still hear distant screams in the hall, each being cut off one by one, as if the surreal delusion was taking its good time fading from my mind. hell had just happened? Had I suffered a waking dream due to exhaustion, or did someone, afraid of my progress, spike my pain pills? Dumbfounded, I wandered back to the on-call room, finding my white coat on the floor and my laptop unharmed. Was I losing my mind? I couldn't help but notice that I now fit the pattern that every other patient here had fallen into. Not so far gone as them, but certainly working my way there. The only difference seemed to be that I had real evidence and a real pattern. Something terrible was really happening. Or was that the same way that they'd all felt? I find it no small irony that this fifth account is my own. I do have one advantage, though. I'm aware of the pattern have all their tales to help me. If that moment comes, the one true step into madness when each of them cross the line. I won't.
I promised myself that. You can't have an objective view of the larger picture and go insane. That's what I'll believe. The two are mutually exclusive. But I won't stop now. Not now. That last tale, the one I was interrupted in writing out and haven't been able to fully process yet, it's... It's disturbing. It fits. I need to think on it. I think I'm on the verge of understanding the impetus behind the patterns, even though I'm not sure I want to. I did take a break to clear my head. As I walked the halls, digging through my apparently faulty memories for any clue of what had really happened during my delusional episode, two things jumped out at me. My headache was gone, and so was that emaciated girl. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's a certain allure to the chase. An enjoyment of the game itself. Win or lose, you're still playing. Still making move and counter move. Full of energy and action. Throughout, there's a sense of importance that no other activity can really match. The game is the game. But now it's over. And I'll admit, I miss the feeling. Although, having the horrible truth Possessing it and holding it close like a prized treasure. The truth can almost replace that feeling. I won. I felt that I was on the path to victory once I calmed down from my delusion about the patients escaping. I realized that I had quite a few cards in my hand to be played. My unknown opponent had made a mistake somewhere and allowed me far too many leads. The first... The girl I helped escape during my delusions was nowhere to be found. Her room was empty and her file was deleted. None of the other staff could remember her, and I believed some of them. An old nurse like Mabel would not possibly be part of a conspiracy so dark and vast. Her primary concern was the next episode of Soaps. But I wrote about the girl. I had the words on my computer and on the internet. I told no one here that I've been writing about patients. I would immediately be fired for obvious reasons. I have the words, and I remember. Memories are tricky, as I know personally, but the words are still there. Furthermore, I went through the patients one by one, looking for discrepancies. I could have just helped the girl escape while having an episode... That proves that nothing. But while so deluded, I saw one patient carve up another, even had his lungs slide up against my shoe. The murdered patient was missing too. At that point, I had a few logical choices to consider about my opponent. A strong but imperfect case could have been made that 
Somewhere in the maze of owners and financial backers and stockholders behind this place, some nefarious corporation had an agenda involving the patients and their various insanities. The likeliest intent was to incubate and refine mimetic hazards, ideas carefully constructed to infect anyone who heard them, carefully constructed to spread and destroy. This would be a new kind of weapon, perhaps changing warfare forever. Their primary agent would have been the chief of medicine, and much to my paranoia, delusions, and inconsistencies could have been explained by drugs and my painkillers meant to imbalance me and discredit me should I uncover their agenda. While an uncharacteristic downpour on the roof filled the building with a constant rhythm of heavy rain, I stalked the halls, eyeing everything. The only people that could remember her were patients and me. That struck me as extremely important. No, the corporation angle didn't add up. The booming thunder outside added to my tension. There were other explanations. I could have been a patient myself. The signs were not lost on me. Claire had been employed here, and I suspected the chief of medicine had some idea she was off balance. But her particular brand of insanity was harmless. For most people. My bandaged hand had begun itching painfully sometime that morning, and it added an undercurrent of increasing anger to my strategizing. I dwelled often on the nature of memory and insanity. I had nothing to prove that I was not myself some sort of employed patient with the carefully crafted delusion of a normal life beyond the walls of the establishment. The sun did feel ages distant, but the rising storm outside made even that luxury impossible. All the specific memories I could recall had no basis other than whatever sanctity I granted them. I asked myself if it mattered. I asked myself where that logic would lead. It would lead backwards, to the conditions that created this situation. Someone like Claire, someone like me, potentially, employed to watch over the other patients. That meant critical underfunding, so much that moral and ethical lines had long since been redrawn. Or erased. It meant a world filling up with people, a world struggling for resources, a dark, dreary, and painful reality for the human race. I was a situation with no enemy, and thus no victory. Humanity would suffer increasingly as the population rose, and only some great disaster of rupturing of morals would offer any salvation. Adding to the strength of that theory was the story of every patient here. The pressures and brutalities of society had pushed them all in this direction. Perhaps it was society itself that was insane, and these poor men and women who were merely the most unfortunate victims of that derangement. That notion felt right, but my being insane required a crumbling society, while reversed, the existence of a crumbling society did not necessarily mean I was insane. These tracks had consumed my investigation, but I had given a third option by the last patient I interviewed. This was a tale of deception and control, and it profoundly disturbed me. 
I'd been interrupted writing it up, but the more I thought about it, the more the pieces seemed to fit. A sudden spike in the intensity of the rain reminded me of something, and then it hit me. I'd read his story before. I'd read it on the internet. His file was missing from here. Had someone else read it and put it up? Or had he done it before his admission here? The details would have been lost to time, so I decided not to pursue them. It was the greater framework that was important. I began to entertain an expanded notion of reality, hypothetically. If the Bonewalker had been real, it had been fighting some worse force on a grand scale. Was that force also my opponent now? What was its concern with me? With this building, its patience? I had seen absolutely no indication of any outside force. I remember stiffening then. I stood in the hall next to a window, spreading rain-dappled shadow patterns on the floor knowing implicitly that I had hit upon the first iota of truth. Evidence was the deception. It had me delving in every direction except the right one. Unable to fully comprehend the massive idea building in my head, I made for the blind girl's room. I found her sitting in a different corner than before, but still writing. As I entered the room, my bandaged hand began to itch distractingly. My headache returned. Why don't you talk to me? I asked her. I thought before that it might be because I'm crazy like them and don't know it, but now I think you know what's going on and you're protecting yourself. Poised against paper, her pen stilled. How are you asking that question? What do you mean? Should I not be able to ask questions? Not that one. I moved down on one knee, nearer her. Why? She glared at me with unseeing eyes. I widened my own eyes. You don't talk to anyone who... Suddenly, extremely uneasy, I raised my hand to my own temples, gently feeling the skin near my eyes. I searched for any aberration sensation was disconcerting. Beneath my burning hand and increasingly sharp headache, I felt two conflicting results. My temples were smooth, the skin was soft and normal. My temples bore two strange, subtle, and irregular raised lines like rough veins gone awry. What the hell is it? I breathed, wincing from a blast of pain in my head. It's there and not there. Sorry, she whispered. What is it? What the hell is it? I forced out, my face screwed up from continually rising pain that approached the crescendo that threatened to knock me unconscious. I struggled to breathe, even as little blurs and flickers appeared in my vision. How many have this? Her lip trembled in response to the sounds of my pain. Everybody. Everybody except the other patients. Surging with adrenaline and will, I stumbled from her room, running for the emergency operation room. 
I pushed the door in forcefully, almost falling from the pain and rushed for the tools. Facing the mirror, I fought the blinding pain and blurry vision to see. I could see it. The little ridges were plainly visible, running from my eyes across my temples and around the back of my head like some horrible lobotomy line. I pricked my temple with a scalpel. Blood welled out, but I ignored it. Instead, carefully prying at the ridge with a gripping tool. My vision flashed white and black. I did not relent. I pulled at the foreign tissue underneath. I screamed in agony, but it refused to pass out. Slowly, so painfully slowly, I pulled out a long, stringy fiber. Hanging from my bleeding temple, gripped in my tool, I knew what it was. This was part of it. I'd considered the impossible. And I'd been right. The pain immediately lessened as I cut the fibrous tissue as close to my skin as I could. There was still some inside near my eyes and all the fiber on the other side of my head, but that was a start. Holding it up, I tried to comprehend what I was seeing. It looked like nerve tissue. Stringy, webbed, made of tiny little fibers, and that's what the blind girl had said when she was first admitted. She said she wouldn't talk to anyone with nerve fibers in their temples. But she'd been here for years. I repeated the same procedure on the other side. My headache was still barely there, but I felt vindicated and relieved. Was that it? Was I free? And what the hell were those nerve fibers? Some sort of infection or parasite? By themselves, these fibers couldn't possibly have controlled or deceived me. There simply wasn't enough tissue for complex interaction with the brain. In fact, the fibers looked like they were from an optic nerve. It was sensory tissue designed to fool the senses. That made a sick sort of sense. Connected to my eyes and ears and probably my brain directly through the optic nerve. These fibers could completely deceive my senses, perhaps even my memories. She said I shouldn't have been able to ask that question. How much control did these fibers normally exert? And why was I now able to detect them, even remove them? I'll be honest. I felt like breaking down and crying then, both at my sudden freedom and vindication and the implied utter domination I'd lived under for so long, possibly years. I probably would have broken down if I did not have some terrible notion that these fibers received signals or control from elsewhere. The opponent. After cleaning up my blood, I took a quick and surreptitious circle through the hall. Mabel smiled at me and then turned away. A subtle ridge was evident on the side of her head. She was infected. I kept walking, kept looking. They all were. I turned to the safety of the emergency operation room as the pain in my head began rising again. I looked in the mirror, horrified. I could literally see the skin on my temples rising as the nerve fibers inside began to regenerate. I remember quite clearly. I laughed out loud, a hearty, dark, full-belly laugh. This was too much. 
infecting me growing back even when I cut it out. What the hell was I supposed to do? My laugh died as my medical knowledge supplied an answer. Disinfecting my hands and donning gloves, I prepared for something I knew was probably insane, and I'd promised myself I wouldn't cross that line when it came to it, but how foolish I'd been then. I readied several mirrors. I had no painkillers, because I couldn't risk dulling my amateur surgical ability. Breathing hard, surging with adrenaline, I placed the separation tool against my eyelids. I ratcheted them open. I steeled myself against what I was about to do. My eyes slid out more easily than I'd expected. Just an inch or two, just enough to keep the optic nerve at tension. Frozen with unbelievable discomfort, the pain, the likes of which I'd never imagined, brought the scalpel up, carefully cutting away at the connected foreign nerve fibers. Five breaths. Ten. Twenty. I took as long as I could stand it, carefully severing the connections at their base. My animal mind screamed incessantly in my head. I could see my own eye out of my head, see a bundle of blood vessels and nerves connecting it, but I fought the impulse to panic. I pulled the rest of the nerve fibers out through the side of my eye socket. They came quite easily from that direction, and then, incredibly, I was done. I carefully took my eye between my gloved fingers and slid it back in. It took five minutes to calm myself, to test my eye, to let my panic subside. And then I did the other eye. By the time I was finished, my headache was gone. The nerve fibers did not regenerate. I'd gotten them all. For an hour, I lay in that room, enjoying my freedom, thinking, breathing, calming. Where did these nerve fibers come from? There was unmistakably a will behind ongoing deception. Who was it? What was it? Deception would not have worked against the Bonewalkers' slaves. They did not know the reasons behind their actions. They simply followed its orders on threat of death. And the patients were free of the fibers. Why? The illuminating realization struck me that the reason was quite possibly the same as it might have been for society. Containment. These people here were dangerous, and their insanity is even more so. Maybe all the explanations shared a common thread. The world was dark and grim, growing overpopulated as my mentor had said, creating increasingly virulent and dangerous insanities on the sheer weight of number and possibility. And maybe this other force, whatever had infected people with nerve fibers, used deception for some purpose. The next step was obvious. I wouldn't want my nerve fibers connected to a brain full of delusion and virulent ideas. I wouldn't want those ideas broadcasting through my network of nerve fiber controlled slaves, infecting them, ruining them, destroying them, possibly freeing them. 
I was losing my mind. I knew it. Then, quite certainly. The painkillers, the exhaustion, the obsession. I let other patients' delusions get to me, regarding their ideas as increasingly real, and there I was, free. That was why I could now see the nerve fibers, why they constricted around my skull, why they fought me at every step. It was ironic, really. The doctor becoming the patient, growing insanity, bringing reality. But my stories were on the internet. His story, the male patient that had stabbed out his own eyes, his story was on the internet. How was it that the opponent allowed such a thing to happen and spread? Was it the same notion that kept the patients here contained and uncontrolled? Was the idea itself a thema to its network of control? I couldn't identify the ideas, couldn't regard them without understanding them, and becoming infected. I was laughing often, alone in that room, as the logical steps increasingly fell into place. There was no defense against an idea. I walked back into the hall a new man. I was free, and there was nothing the opponent could do. It could no longer regard me, no longer think of me. I must not exist to it, because to acknowledge me would be to think of me, and then understand me, and then become infected. I had the black and hilarious notion that the nerve fibers would probably have left me of their own accord some near point had I allowed my descent into madness to continue. What did you do to yourself? The chief of medicine shouted, seeing me from down the hall. I heard him call urgently for orderlies, but thunder obscured his first shout. I ran. The side door's lock had been fixed. Damn it. I used my keys, unlocking each door as I passed, releasing the patients as a distraction. I heard the orderly shouting and organizing somewhere nearby. I had a sudden idea as I passed the maintenance room. It was easier than I'd expected. I'd flipped the circuit breakers, and all the lights went out. As I emerged back into the hall, strangely at home in darkness and rotating red emergency light, the only sounds were the rain slamming against the roof, the intermittent thunder... Strange. I'd imagined this, or not imagined this, the night before. No, this time there was rain. I grabbed my laptop from the on-call room, slung it over my shoulder in its bag, and ditched my white coat. I stuffed as many snacks from the vending machine in my bag as I could, promising to pay it back someday for the broken glass and cost of what I took. Screams and grunts filled the shifting darkness. I could hear staff members shouting and trying to find one another. I could hear patients muttering and somebody screamed in pain. I smiled as I crept through the darkness. The confusion was working perfectly. Thunder shook the building as I approached the main door. The area was empty, as the orderlies contended with the escaped patients. I was free. Wait, he called out as I put my hand against the door. I could hear rain slicking the other side. Don't do it. It was my mentor. I've been following your actions as best I could, he explained, concerned. The patient at the end of the far wing. We kept him back there, attended as little as possible for a reason. Remember what I said to you? 
I stared back at him, nearly ready to bolt through the door, but willing to hear him out. His psychosis, it's infected you, he shouted over the grunts and screams from the back halls. And I know you believe insanity's a choice. Choose to stay, to remain here, to be part of the staff in real life. I turned away, ready to leave. What's out that door for you? He asked loudly. What are you going to do? Run? Hide from society? Hurt people for whatever reason you've come to believe? His reasoning and compassion made sense. Perfect sense. I hesitated. Was I really that far gone? What if I did accept that reality? Whether some entity was deceiving me or not, life was decent enough, right? This was the moment I felt it. Out that door, I was de facto insane, at least compared to whichever reality society brought is true. Here I was one of them. A staff member, accepted and normal. It made too much sense. It was too perfect. It's you! I realized, practically screaming it. Lit in crimson, he shook his head, confused. I didn't expect the opponent to reveal itself, just because I'd figured out that it was speaking through my mentor. No, his body's reaction was perfect, deceptively real. Thunder boomed, and I pushed out into the rain, running for my life. Life would be a bit harder from now on, I'm sure. I'm outside the construction of society's reality, but it can't regard me anymore. It can't think of me without risking itself. I'm free to move undetected and ignored, for the most part. I think I'll change my name, get a job, put on a facade of normalcy, and operate from behind a mask, because it must ignore me, so the only people I have to fool are other humans. It can't stop my ideas, which I release to the world like the virus they are. We're all being deceived, every one of us. I saw the true nature of the world once the rain cleared. I see what has really happened to us. I was on a hill outside the city when the clouds parted and the blessed sun finally brought long-sought relief. I'd seen indications of the truth as I ran through the rain, but the darkness and water obscured the extent. I stood and looked down on the city. Growths hung up high between buildings, street lamps and trees, thick, ropey fibers, nerve fibers. It infested almost everything, wrapped around the trappings of civilization like a strangling vine. I had a flash of understanding then. This thing, this infestation stretching the world over most certainly. Nerves, neurons, brains, interconnected, deceived, a similar network to the internet itself. The entity may have begun as just an idea, a meme, or a mutation somewhere, and spread from there. And now it was a massive parasite on humanity. I could feel its past influence on me now that it was gone, and I understood what it wanted. More. 
It wants more people, more brains, more stress, more consumption. It loves caffeine. It loves stimulants of any kind, but caffeine especially. It wants you to drink more. It wants you to eat more. It wants you to consume and reproduce as it guides the human race towards some dark and unknown goal. While the pressures it creates, humanity's own needs sharpen to the extreme, crush whole swaths of people underfoot. Whether it be the body image or the desperation of being poor on the streets or financial slavery to massive debt or the need for affection or, in my case, the basic desire to believe that suffering is not the normal, fundamental nature of life. Whatever your stress, your weakness, it will grind increasing numbers of us up and push us past our limits of will and reason, for it is society and it is us and we are all expendable. But today is the first day of the resistance. I post now from free wireless at a coffee shop, smiling at a passerby. The opponent cannot regard me, and everyone else is consumed in their own private struggle against society's extreme and rising pressures. They're all too stressed to notice that someone like me, someone insane, as compared to society's reality, is sitting among them. After this post, I'll disappear, even from here, and no one will be the wiser. But don't worry. That's my life's work now. I took the scalpel and tools with me. I'll find you. And I'll free you all. One pair of eyes at a time.